Are you registered for Culture Proof Conference 2024? Well, you need to get registered today. We are super excited about our first ever conference that's coming to Faith Baptist in Bartlett, Tennessee. Yes, July 18th through the 20th. And we're open, wide open. So go to cultureproof.net right now and register. Yeah, that's right. And I say the first ever conference. It's the first ever Culture Proof Conference. But everything that you love about the types of conferences that the Addisons produce all remains intact. Some of our speakers this year include the incredible Dr. Kathy Cook. Abraham Hamilton III. Dr. Renton Rathbun. Dr. Lee Brand. And Israel Wayne. And not to mention our extraordinary Culture Proof Kids and Teens tracks facilitated by Maria Hamilton. The third. And Mark and Amy (laughs) Warren. You're going to want to make sure you register. When registration fills up for those tracks, the kids tracks, we close them down because we want our classrooms to be functional and we want our kids to get the most out of those classrooms. All right, question. Mm-hmm. Is functional a word? No, probably not. So fu- functional. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that's all right. I just want to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, don't let her do it. Oh, Lord. Um, when you don't have a red line in your brain, you're just going to leave it. Okay. We want to see you in Bartlett, Tennessee at Faith Baptist Church, July 18th through the 20th. That's right. Go to cultureproof.net. Culture Proof is brought to you by BJU Press Homeschool. If you've come to homeschooling or you're thinking of homeschooling to preserve a solid biblical worldview in your children, you should consider the curriculum we trust to help with biblical worldview formation. BJU Press Homeschool is here for you and with you as you center Christ in the education of your kids. Visit our friends today at BJUPressHomeschool.com. That's BJUPressHomeschool.com, the premier sponsor of the Culture Proof podcast. Welcome to Culture Proof. I'm Will, and you're listening to Wednesdays with Will. So happy to be with you today. Um, the Lord is, he's good. He's good. And man, if we do things by uh, his design, then we will see that we will get the best results. Um, just want to give you a, remi- a reminder that our Culture Proof Conference is coming up July 18th through the 20th. If you haven't registered, please register now, uh, cultureproof.net, cultureproof.net. Check out the website. Give us some feedback. We have some blogs that we post uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, you can listen to the podcast uh, on that site. You can check out uh, some of our speaking topics or our bio if you desire to bring us out to come and speak at your event. Uh, everything that you would need to know, you can find at Cultureproof. Dot net, cultureproof.net. Uh, today, I want to get right into it. I kind of want to piggyback off of what we talked about yesterday. You know, it is of the utmost importance that we as parents realize the responsibility that we have in discipling our children. 
Uh, yesterday, we talked about this, and we've been talking about this for a while. There's been studies that have come out year after year after year about the decline of the church. And, you know, uh, when are we going to take time out to do something about the problem? We can get all these surveys. We can get all this stuff, all this information. But when are we, the people of God, going to say, okay, it's my responsibility to do something about this? You know, we have to be culture proof. There are so many things within this culture, within this world that pull upon us as the people of God. But we have to stand firm and stand close to the word of God. And the word of God tells us that we are not to be friends with this world. That this world is um, at variance, at enmity with God. And so our responsibilities as pilgrims, as sojourners, is to be hooked in to our mission that has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today I want to talk about generations. I want to talk about generations. Because the thing is, it's not like this stuff is like a Hail Mary where you just pass this long pass down the field, right, and hope that somebody on our team will catch it. That's not how it works. We have to be very intentional about discipleship, and it starts within our homes. A lot of times we've had, we have outsourced discipleship to the church, to the youth pastor, to the children's pastor. When it's been our responsibility as the people of God, as parents, to lay the foundation of the gospel right there within our homes. And because we have outsourced this responsibility, we have the results that we have today. Now, God deals in generations. If you look throughout the Bible, I, I love how the Bible is a family book. It talks about God the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ. It talks about us uh, being adopted into the beloved, that we were strangers and foreigners uh, to the commonwealth of God. But now we have been brought close by the blood of the lamb. And so he deals in generation. We see that even in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, the people who were called out by God and made his own people. These are his children. And we, as ones who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are his children as well. So God deals in generation. God deals in generation. It matters what we do in our generation to sure up the next generation. And when we fail to disciple our children, we invite destruction and set off consequences that could last for generations down the line. See, a lot of this stuff has been talked about, like I said before. There's been books written. There's been surveys that have been taken that show that if we don't do something about how we are approaching discipleship in our homes, we're going to have the results that we're dealing with today. One of the greatest spiritual weapons that God has given us to protect and secure our families is discipleship in the home. God has designed the home as the first stop for the gospel for our children. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If the first place where your child has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ is in church, then you fail to do something. The first place that the gospel should be heard by our children is right there in our homes. 
We have the responsibility as parents to lay that foundation out for our children. Husbands wash their wives with the word. Wives uh, are the help me for the husbands. And fathers are supposed to instruct their children. And the mothers are supposed to teach them. See, this is an all hands on deck endeavor. We need fathers. We need mothers. We need grandparents, aunties and uncles. Every joint supplies. In the discipleship of our children, if you are in the life of a child and you are a believer, you need to have in your mind, in your thinking, how can I help this next generation grow in admonition and in respect of the Lord? These things are in family context. Uh, so we uh, try to outsource this vital component of Christ following to institutions and individuals that don't know God. We're fighting against ourselves. We're going against what we say that we desire when we outsource the rearing up of our children to ungodly men and women. Ministry in the home should never uh, take the back seat to the church and the education of the children should not have been wholly given over to the schools. Discipleship in the home has to be a primary feature for our families. So for a moment, I want to talk about how God deals in generations. Now, yesterday we, we spoke about the uh, study uh, that was done that kind of uh, just talked about where our young children, our young people are and what they are believing and what they don't believe. I just, I'm just going to read just a couple of paragraphs to jog our, our memory. In a statement released last week, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University shared data about the worldviews held by children between the ages of 8 and 12. 8 and 12. The Cultural Research Center contrasted the views of the preteens with those of parents of children younger than 13 pastors of Christian churches, and teenagers. And the findings of, of the research are based on responses from 400 preteens pre collected in December 2022. 600 parents of children younger than 13 gathered in January 2022. 600 pastors of Christian churches collected in February 2022. And 400 teenagers gathered in November and December in 2022. And in January 2023, a survey of 2,000 adults. So this was a pretty thorough Study. Pretty thorough study. When asked if they believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to experience eternal salvation based on confessing your sins and relying only upon his forgiveness of your sins, just 36% of preteens answered in the affirmative. 34% of parents and 54% of children's pastors say the same. What I want to show you today is that, is that where our children are, 8 to 12, are because of the parents and the parents' parents. They didn't just get here. This has been a gradual thing. How long will we do all of these studies 
all of these surveys until we get it through our thick skulls that we have to do something different in our homes. 25% of preteens agree that the Bible is the true word of God that should be uh, the guide to knowing right from wrong and living a good life. 25% of preteens. Significantly higher shares of parents, 44%, and children's pastors, 62%, expressed agreement with the statement stressing the value of the Bible. These numbers are, are a shame. It should be 100%. It should be 100%. Less than half of preteens, 21%, and parents, 28%, and children's pastors, 36%, believe that there are absolute truths. Things that are right and things that are wrong. What? 21%, 28%, 36%, preteens, parents, and children's pastors believe that there are absolute truths, things that are right and things that are wrong? Wow, where are we and how did we get here? How did we get here? I want to read a, a few scriptures to you. From the Old Testament, Exodus chapter uh, 1, verse 1 through 8. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Uh, they came, each one with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, uh, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation but the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. You got to understand that this happened over time. How can a new king arise that didn't know Joseph in the status and the prestige that he had in his close alliance to the Pharaoh to help to save Egypt and the world from famine? How do these things happen? One step at a time. One step at a time. These things are a progression or a regression because something is not carried over from one generation to the next. We have this scripture in Judges chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. So these are people that were with Joshua. They saw all the miracles, the different things that happened. You would think that they would have as a primary duty to, to pass that down, right? So that their children would understand who the one, who is the one that brought them out of slavery, brought them out of Egypt, so that they can worship that God, right? But the Bible says, then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnah Herez, 
in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All that generation who were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. How does that happen? How do you have the Red Sea experience? How do you have the crossing of the Jordan? How do you have the walls of Jericho falling down? How do you have uh, the trembling of the nations because of the God of Israel? How do you have all that happen? And there is a generation who will rise up who do not, who does not know, who does not know the Lord, all the work that he had done. It's a gradual thing. It happens in generations. When one generation fumbles the ball, it has a ripple effect down the line. This is why it's so important that from generation to generation, the goodness of the Lord is made known within families. In the book of Judges, God would raise up judges for Israel after they would cry out to him because of punishment for their rebellion. These judges would deliver the people and they would generally have rest for about 40 years, which is a generation or two. The number 40 is the, in the Bible usually deals with testing, trials, and triumph. But then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. How do you go from the God of Israel that delivered his people to now they're serving Baal? And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord's anger to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord has spoken and as the Lord has sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. This right here, as we read, this is the goodness of God trying to get them back on track because they had gone away. They begin to serve uh, false gods. So God removed his protection from around his people to get them to see that he is God. So they were distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. So in the goodness of God, after a season of time, he would raise up these judges to come to their rescue. Hmm. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. Now, you may look at this generation and say, well, their fathers did it. They should have just got something happened. There has to be an intentional work that is done in discipleship. I look at the fathers and I say, where did they miss it? 
Just like we have to look at ourselves today as parents and we have to evaluate if we're missing it somewhere. This stuff does not come by osmosis. It's not just a feature of you, you're in the same house, so they're just going to get it. You have to know that you know that you know that they got it. It's an intentional thing. Discipleship is intentional. And so as we read this, as these people did not do what their fathers did, it had to be because their fathers were not intentional. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. They turned away quickly. If that intentional discipleship is not there, quickly you will have generations following that will turn away. Quickly. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was uh, with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. So while the judge was, was around, there was deliverance. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died. See, in order for what we are implanting and, and giving to our children to last, it has to be something that will last after we're gone. It has to be carried on. So my son has to present this same robust gospel discipleship to his son. My daughter has to present the same living, powerful God to her daughter. If not, if there's a break in the link, automatically and quickly, there will be a going back to the things of this world. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you are enjoying what you hear, please remember to give it a rating or to leave a comment. Let people know that this podcast is a blessing to you. It helps to grow Culture Proof and we would be so grateful. Also, if you love Culture Proof and you want to support the ministry, why not pick up some merch and look good while you support the ministry of Culture Proof? Check out every podcast. You'll find a link in the description to where you can get your Culture Proof merch and support this ministry. We appreciate it. And so as we read, when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers. See, that's another feature of this. If there's not discipleship happening generation to generation, the generation that follows will act more corruptly than the previous generation. It's human nature. It's sinful nature. If there's not a carrying on, and we have this happening in our culture today, well, you can look back and I can say my grandmother was a woman of God. My grandfather was a minister and preacher and a man of God. If that's not carried on by my mom and my dad, then my children end up in a worse state than even me. 
It has to be something that we take seriously through all the generations, all the generations. There cannot be any dropping of the ball, any fumbling of the ball, any dropping of the baton. It has to be carried through generation to generation. If not, they're going to be even more corrupt than the previous. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers and following the other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. See, this cycle kept happening because they did not remember the goodness of God to pass it down to the next generation. And I believe uh, we are living in that type of lack of acknowledging God today. What we see in the, the rebelliousness of our children, and what we see in the, the, the murdering, you know, happening among teens and preteens. These are children who are carrying out these criminal acts. It's because something happened within the home, within the family structure. The parents, we have to look back at ourselves and say, what did we miss? What did we miss? We are where we are now because of a lack of proper discipleship in our homes, intergenerationally. The importance of relaying the message to the future generations, very, very important. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7 through 9, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness or what is in heaven of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me generations see there's a a curse for those who don't love god down to the fourth generations but those who love god there's a blessing throughout generations deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 through 9 hear o israel the lord is our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and these words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. First, they have to be in the heart of the parent. Then you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. That's all day. That's all throughout the day. You understand what I'm saying? It's intentional. It's work. It's primary work. It's essential work. It is work that can't be shirked off. It has to be done if you're going to raise godly seed all day. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, the commands of the Lord. This is the instruction that is given by our God and how we should manage our households. Generations are crucial to God's plan. Joshua chapter four, 
1 through 9. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourself 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe and command them saying, take up for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you so that, and here it is, when your children ask later saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. When your children ask you, why do we set up these stones? What's the deal with these stones, Dad? It gives you an opportunity to tell them of the testimony of the power of God. This is a feature of what we are able to do in training our children in righteousness in the home. In the home. What a beautiful thing. Right in a home, we get to train our children into godliness. By what? By the things in the manner of life that we live, by the things that we do. When they ask the question, why do we do that? We could say because the God of all gods, the most high God, has done this in our lives. He's brought us out of Egypt. He saved us, and now as a memorial, we're doing these things. We're living this life. Psalm chapter 78, verse 1 through 8, and it's one of my favorites. It shows how generations are to pass down the goodness of God. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. So they heard these things and they have known them. And our fathers have told us they know it and they've heard them because their fathers told them. You see how it works? Their father told them and we will not conceal them from our from their children. We will not conceal them from their children. So you see the passing down of information. The passing down of the things that are most important. We will pass them down. We won't conceal them from their children. But tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. See, this is what's supposed to be passed down in the Christian context, in Christian homes. The goodness of God. How powerful he is. The testimony that we have of being brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. But to tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob 
and appointed a law in Israel, a testimony in Jacob and a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to who? Their children. That the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born that the generation that come to come might know even the generation yet to be born. Wow. Even the generation uh, yet to be born that they could know the goodness of God, that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their what confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Right here, we have the passing down of the commandments of God to at least five generations, to at least five generations. Keep passing it down. This is what we hand down. We are not going to be satisfied with them uh, getting, in, getting it for themselves. We're not going to rest on that, that, oh, you know, I'm going to let them see the world and kind of get for themselves. No, we pass down in an intentional manner the things of God. It's not by osmosis. It's not just a feature of them being in your home that they're going to have the same resolve and the same, you know, conviction that you have. It has to be intentionally passed down. How do we get these numbers that we talked about in this survey? We get to that point because there's, there was a gap in the generational linkage of the gospel being passed down through the generations. I'll give you another scripture. Exodus chapter 12, verse 23 through 27. It says, for the Lord would pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this right. And here it is. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? <laughs> what does this mean to you, mom? That you shall say it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshiped. Oh, man. Again, it's a setup. It's a setup for right there in the home for your children to ask these questions. But you have to be living in such a way where the question is asked. If you're not living in a way that the question can be asked, then won't ask it. If we're living like the world, if we're doing the things of the world, if we're loving the world, our children won't ask the question that, uh, why are we so different? What is this? Why do we worship God? Why do we pray? Why do we sing these songs? Why do we do this and do that? Those questions are set up for the gospel, but they will only be asked if there's a reason for them to ask the question.
Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 and 21. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Oh, man. God deals in generations. And the way that we get generations that don't know God is if we drop the ball. So what is this saying? We have a responsibility, parents, grandparents, right now. Because when we talk about these surveys, this is what's happening right now. But what we will see in the future is a much worse outcome. It's, a worse, it's, it's much worse. The outcome will be much worse. It would be it would be uh, 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 light years worse than what we're experiencing now. This hap this stuff happens over time. So when we're talking about the lack of a biblical worldview in our preteens today, the outflow of that is when they are adults, they would have that view, and our community and our society will be the worst because of it. So we have a job to do right now. If you are a children's church minister, make sure that you're, you are robust in the word. It's not enough for juice and crackers. Give them the truth of God's word. If you are a children's church minister, a youth pastor, don't be satisfied with giving them just a piece of party. with tickling their, you know, uh, need for entertainment. Give them the word. The same admonishment that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy, it is for you as well. Preach the word. Preach the word. Look, a lot of times we feel like they can't understand this. Or, yes, they can. And God has given you, if you have been called to that ministry, to children, some of the most important work there is. If you are a children's church pastor, you're not a throwaway. If you are a youth minister, your, your job is very, very crucial because it's at this time that the worldview is being formed. Take seriously what you're doing with our children. You are in a, a place of shaping the hearts and the minds and the conviction of the children. Take what you're doing seriously. Now, I will say also, that is not your total responsibility. You are a supplement to what should be happening at home. So the call is out to parents. Make sure that discipleship is happening in the home, that the foundation is being laid in your home so that when you do go to church and they go to children's church, if y'all have that or the youth group, that it's just a supplement for what you're already doing. That can't be what it is. You cannot rely on them to, that, your, that your, your child is saved, that your children's salvation is, does not rest upon the youth pastor or the children's church leader. You have the responsibility of guiding and leading your children in the ways of the Lord. I want to encourage you today on this Wednesday with Will that you would have an urgency about you as it regards the discipleship of your children. 
grandparent, that you would see your part in helping your children to disciple their children. It's all hands on deck. And we can continue to go through and we probably will continue to go through these different studies as they come out. These di different books that are, writ are written about the crisis that's happening. But until we buckle down as parents, as grandparents and do what God has called for us to do and take it seriously, we will have the same results that we've we've been getting. And that's the truth of the matter. Thank you for listening to Culture Proof. This has been Wednesday with Will. And listen, when we resist those trends that rival the truth, those cultural trends that rival the truth, we will remain culture proof. Until next time, God willing, God bless. Thank you.